Hello everyone and thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Furloughed Podcast. We'll get into our podcast in just a moment. I wanted to share with you, this is a podcast we recorded a few weeks back and didn't have opportunity to share with you, but I feel it's just as pertinent now, if maybe not even more so, as we talk with our friend about permanent layoff and what that means to him. As we see a number of people are beginning to experience that, they may have initially been on a temporary furlough and now they're finding themselves permanently without a job. So listen in, hope you enjoy the content, and be sure and share your feedback with us at furloughedmailbox at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Furloughed, defining moments worth talking about. I'm your host, Leonard Cochran, and today we have Steve Otterstrom again with us. How are you doing this week, Steve? I'm doing really well. Um, I'm actually really super excited for today's podcast. Um, I, I, I think we're, we're really going to get an opportunity to dive into some real interesting things. So uh, not too much new to report on my end of things, but uh, just excited to get started. All right. Excellent. Well, uh, yeah, I'm just going through the routine of going to the state website and continuing to fill that out once a week. And uh, amazingly enough, they forced us now to log in based on what day, based on our social security, so I can get in and out without issue. And so it's going smoothly there. And thank God the money's coming in as well. <laughs> so uh, isn't that nice? <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to just dive right in then because we've got a special guest today. So we've got Greg Johnson joining us. And just a little bit of background with Greg. Greg and I met number of years back we actually worked together and uh so just so you know a little bit about greg he's been in sales and sales training for a number of years and when we first met i was still relatively new in the learning world Uh, i'd worked on some technical training doing some e-learning for some systems training and whatnot and i had opportunity to kind of sneak away from my day job during lunchtime and I would go spy on Greg and and Greg was working on some sales training at the time for one of our hotel brands. And so I would during lunchtime, literally during my lunchtime, go over there, kind of eavesdrop and just bounce ideas with him or he would bounce them with me, maybe I should say. Uh, But it really, uh, so, so Greg, uh, for me, it was really a big thing that you allowed me to particip- participate in that with you, because uh, at the time, my confidence in my learning skills and my uh, all, all that I've done since then, <laughs> uh, my confidence wasn't where it needed to be. And so you allowing me the opportunity to ju- just share and brainstorm and bounce ideas with you really, really was instrumental in kind of uh, helping me to gain some additional confidence. And so I, I appreciate you doing that. So now here you are, Greg, on our podcast. And as you know, our podcast is called Furloughed. And so yeah. you're here for a reason. So let, I'll go ahead and let you jump in and kind of introduce yourself and tell a little bit about what you've done. Gosh, it's been forever since we forever. met. So where, where have you been? Me. Yeah, I uh, appreciate that longevity and making me feel real long in the tooth. Uh, but um, I, so I started off in hospitality uh, just over two decades ago, right? That sounds insane. Mm. And then worked on property, worked on a couple properties, and then went to training. That's where I met you. And I'll throw back a compliment your way in that uh, when you were coming over, it was helping me gather my thoughts in an organized manner because my thoughts typically come into such an ADD fashion uh, that I was having trouble kind of lining lining it out because I wanted to say all of the punchlines before the joke and you helped me kind of build up that the base (laughs) before before the punchlines were delivered and and the learning and so I think that was a two-way learning street and that's probably the reason why we built the relationship that we did. And so I spent quite a few years, um, eight or nine years in the Hilton world. And then they went through a little bit of a shakeup. And typically when companies go through a shakeup, uh, marketing, IT and training are the first ones to get 
pared down. And so I made it through a couple rounds and then they gave me the opportunity to search for a job elsewhere. And so I consulted with some businesses and then have worked since then for a couple uh, management companies as the first one is a regional director of sales and the second one is the VP of sales and marketing. And since then, um, this COVID madness has kicked in and I am now given the opportunity once again to find employment elsewhere. Mm, so that's yeah. kind of where we land. Yeah, and I remember seeing on LinkedIn, uh, number one, it took me a while to recognize you had that title of VP. And then it seemed like, I swear, it seemed like two weeks later, I noticed you updated your status and said that you were looking for work. And it was just kind of a, oh my gosh, what's going on? And so eventually I did touch base with you and uh, wanted to bring you onto the podcast and just check on you, of course, as well. And so let's talk just a little bit about that. Um, so at this point, I know Steve and I, we're... Um, by my account, about a third of the way through our furlough, but your your furlough is not really a furlough, is it? No, my furlough is a um, a layoff completely. Um, yeah. Here you go. They they the company was you know nice enough to give me a, a bit of a severance that you know gave a little bit of breathing room, um, although the breaths are coming more and more shallow. As, as we get going, but uh, yeah, it's it's one of those times where you really evaluate what you're going to do and how creative you're going to get with uh, the jobs you look for and apply for and, and what you're going to do going forward. Yeah, yeah, and so just for our audience, I'll be explicitly clear. So, so Greg, you're you're terminated is the word you're, 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 you're being very gracious they said laid off and so yeah so, yeah just just laid off and don't come back so, so yeah. yeah laid off thank you for your service it uh and you know there were a few others let go from from the corporate office as well and and you know in all honesty it, it came as uh, quite a shock to mm -hmm. to have that have uh, myself be one of the first to get that uh, message. So yeah, that was a bit of a change at that point. Well, Greg, I remember I was just going to say several years ago, um, you know, I, I was in a similar situation where um, out of nowhere, got a call from my boss. It was actually a day that I had off. Um, he thought that I had, which was going to be working that day, but, uh, it got a call saying, Hey, can you come in? And just the tone of his voice, I knew, yes. <laughs> I was like, this is not good. This is not, this is not a happy experience. And, uh, it, it it's interesting because I had worked in human resources, uh, for quite a while and I had not directly been the person you know, telling someone that they had lost their job, but I had been very involved in uh, conversations where uh, somebody was not going to be coming back to work. And it was just such a different experience being on the other end of that. And it, in many ways, it was just kind of this, I don't even know how to describe it, this emotional black hole, <laughs> yeah. um, not quite knowing even what to feel. Um, at that moment and and that sense of loss like we go to work and we're so excited for our days off and now all of a sudden i was getting a lot of days off and, and <laughs> even with, yeah, that, that excitement ends pretty quick when you realize it, it's permanent it, right yeah, <laughs> it really does and even you know what the, they they gave um a, a fairly generous uh, severance package um as well and that did not feel like paid time off. And, and I think more than anything, what I struggled with was a sense of rejection. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. this feeling that I thought that I was contributing enough to justify my pay. And now what you're telling me is I didn't even contribute enough to justify being paid for the work I'm doing. and. I'm I'm curious if you had any similar type emotions or 
was it different because you're like, well, I know this COVID thing is going on. So I understand why this is happening. Well, I somewhat understood, but it, what you went through um, pretty much defines how I felt because I was one of the first ones laid off. So I'm thinking, so am I, was I just dead weight that there's like, oh, he's easy to cut. You know, we can save money here. Um, and, you know, went through those feelings as well. And, and your first comment, one of your first comments of, you know, you look forward to days off. I'm actually looking forward to days that I work um, now a little bit. And, and so, yeah, there's the sense of rejection. And then I reflected back on when I got laid off with um, Hilton and the, you know, when the whole Blackstone merger went through and I, I was trying to think about the emotions I had there and there were some emotions of, you know, a little disbelief, but I was on the third wave. And so my thought process was, okay, they, they just continue to try to figure out the company and, you know, how it can improve their EBITDA. So, um, I wasn't taking a surprise. And then one of the brands has had approached me anyway to start consulting with them and doing their trainings so that they could continue their programs without having to restructure anything. And so I had something pretty quickly uh, after I got that message of being laid off. And then I have, you know, I had a pretty healthy family and everything was kind of good there. And so there's a few added things. And when you talk about the COVID thing, the understanding, um, there was of course, the understanding after the shock of, you know, the company has to do something, but then there's, oh crap, I'm in hospitality and hotels are shutting down. And oh crap, a year ago, I find out, uh, we went through an experience of finding out that my daughter had uh, type one diabetes, which was a shock as well. And so now I'm thinking one, where do I find a job Two, you know, making sure that we figure out this insurance thing because it, it, uh, it's a big deal and a, and a big health risk as well. So mm-hmm. a, a bunch of different factors have gone into being laid off or as bluntly as Leonard says, terminated. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. well, you know, <laughs> what could I say? <laughs> Well, hey, uh, definitely want to go down the avenue of talking about your your daughter and her condition. And so I do have some questions about that. But let's, before we jump too far to that, um, let's, let's dwell just another minute in, in where we are and talking about the loss of job. Because I, I myself, I've worked at a place where they shut down and I was without work. And then I, too, uh, at one point in time, I had a position that was terminated, so I had to reapply. And fortunately, I was one of those people that got to stay where other people left. Um, but looks, looks kind of, for folks that maybe have never been in this situation, and I recognize COVID's out there, uh, but there is a lot of emotion. And, and so oftentimes, I think we identify ourselves by what we do. Uh, especially it seems maybe it's a little bit more of a male dominant trait, but we, we identify ourselves by what we do, you know, Hey, who are you? Well, this is what I do. You know, it's, right. it's rarely do we give detail about ourselves, but we talk about our jobs and our accomplishments or whatnot. Um, the, I, I know for myself that weight can be pretty heavy. Um, are you, would you be willing to share some of the emotions, some of the weight that you recognize from that, just from a personal perspective, just not even beyond from your family at this point, but just from a personal perspective. Well, yeah. Um, well, you're correct. And I've, I've noticed that as well. When Angel and I go to social gatherings, Angel being my wife is uh, one of the first, I mean, it seems like women just connect automatically. They look at each other across the room and all of a sudden they know half of their lives just by this, you know, connection of some the minds or whatever and then men we go up to each other and again i'm generalizing uh, this is not true across um, any sort of brand but uh for sure this is 
know, I've, I've had many conversations where it's like, Hey, how are you do? What do you do? That's mm-hmm. like the first thing you know, or the second thing after what's your name. So what do you do? And yeah, we define ourselves that way. And so for one, that definition is now gone. So, um, you know, as a lighthearted little uh, comment, I mean, you just, you go to a party now and he says, what do you do? And I, you know, I, I have no answer. Uh, but the underlying, I think the, the biggest feeling I have is guilt is, you know, as I reflect more and more on um, what's going through, because my wife has been able to stay at home with the kids. She has some online businesses and you know, she's been able to luckily uh, be there and help the kids with homework. And I've, I've had to travel quite a bit, but, you know, we decided early on in our marriage that I wanted that for our kids. And so we've worked really hard. And then at this situation, um, we're looking at maybe she has to get a job. And then, you know, our kids, as many of them are, almost all of them are, are home. And they have to homeschool. So now the guilt of what do we do with them? Do they have to be these uh, turnkey kids or key lock or what the term was back in the day? But um, latch key. <laughs> latch key. That's where it is. I knew I had a key in there. Lock them in the key in the, in the basement of the kids. Or, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but there, there's that guilt. It's now yeah. I'm sorry that I can't provide for you. Um, and uh, I'm going to try, but the uncertainty as well. Well, and I know for myself, Greg, when I worked for the company that shut down, they sold the business. And, and so uh, obviously there was no need for me to be there. Once it was um, so what you're saying was, is you were terminated. Yes. Yes, I was terminated. <laughs> yes. I mean, to be fair, termination, I think, deals with death. But <laughs> well, but it, yeah, well, yeah, and that's that's the that's what I was going to say. It, well, not necessarily directly that, but what did happen to me was the weight of being unemployed, the weight of not having a job, uh, and I too had had uh, at that point in time, my wife had just a small part-time job, and so she she was. Um, contributing to the income but it was really more because that was something she wanted to do we had mm-hmm. sort of agreed that yeah we we if we could live on one income we would and we kind of had lived our life that way and uh, my two children were young so we, we were able to do that uh, but what slowly crept in was uh, a, for me I guess it was a loss of self-esteem and I didn't even recognize it but you become um, a little bit lethargic or a little bit less energy as you go through day to day. And it really took some time to recover from it. And, and in my situation, I changed jobs as well. I changed careers as well. And so I had, I, I don't know if it's an added burden, but because of shifting careers, I then was at the bottom rung of a different career field. And so the confidence that I had from my previous 15 years of experience in that industry I was in was no longer there as I was entering a new career. And so maybe that compounded, I don't know. Uh, But yeah, definitely uh, not a fun situation to be in. So let's let's pivot back because I certainly don't want to ignore. You mentioned your daughter uh, having type 1 diabetes. Mm-hmm. And I know, Greg, I know you well enough. I don't know the age of your children, but I know you don't have an infant at home. And when I heard about her having type one diabetes, my assumption was that, yeah, you bring the kid home from the hospital, try and feed them and you find out, oops, they're type one diabetes. But you, you've got your, your child is 10 ish or so. <laughs> She's 14, 14 now. Okay. So she is yeah. a teen. So yeah. let, let, let's first of all, help kind of go down the road as to what type one diabetes is for those of us that are a little uneducated to find out you can get that at the age of 13 than she would have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I, I would assume you just left the hospital and had it. So kind of talk about that versus type two, if you would, cause I I'm familiar with type two, but didn't recognize how type one could happen. Uh, yeah. And departure from the we, yeah, I know that, 
that was a surprise to us as well and completely off our radar anything that could ever happen you know um and then type 2 has, is in everybody's mind as well as that's diabetes i mean everybody knows there is a type 1 or there probably wouldn't be a type 2 um but that came along with the learning process but i was at work uh, a year ago and uh, i think i just got done with the conference call and was typing up notes and you know my to-dos from that list and i got a call from my wife on my phone and um, answered it and she was in tears and said we're on our way to the hospital in Richmond which is about 45 minutes away from where I was at and she said we went to the doctor Macy wasn't feeling well and her blood sugar registered above 700 where we find out normal is between let's say a hundred and two hundred and um, Angel said she's on the verge of diabetic coma and that's never a call you want to have for one and then you know repeat that again her blood sugar was what now over 700 700 and 200 yeah. towards a high and normal okay wow. yeah and the reason we don't know what it was is the nurse said our machines only go to 700 oh, and no. so um, we didn't know how far over she was and the doctor and the nurse said, I don't know why she's not in diabetic coma yet, but if you don't get there, she will be. Um, and so we, Angel took off just going crazy, flights flashing, as you can imagine any parent would, uh, heading to the hospital because she was in Williamsburg at a clinic there. And from Williamsburg to Richmond is 45 minutes. And I, I worked in Williamsburg as well. And so I would make the same trek. Um, but we got to the hospital. We got in. They were doing all sorts of tests. You know, my daughter was just as lucid as can be. She was maybe a little bit loopy. But I, you know, she's a teenager for one. Uh, so <laughs> loopy could be attributed to many things. But she's very athletic, and she's a swimmer and field hockey and lacrosse and whatever she can do. Um, and they said because she got done with a swim meet, she was doing swim meets, that because her body was so healthy, that she um, was able to withstand this buildup of sugar, um, but they needed to get it under control very quickly. And they were throwing out this type 1, this type 1, this type 1. And to your point, Leonard, is... She's never had it. Our family, you know, they're going through family histories. Nobody's had type one in our in our family. They've had type two, and so I'm trying to correlate it with that. And um, to your initial question, it's um, one in ten people will get type two diabetes, and then one in those. 10 people, so it even goes down further, will be diagnosed with type 1. And it, it usually hits, um, well, it hits typically before the age of 18. Mm -hmm. and, I see. And it's the death of the pancreas. And they yet don't yet know exactly why some people get it or not. She had the flu. Um, a couple weeks prior and the doctor says what happened was the antibodies that got built up attacked the pancreas and the pancreas is what you know makes the insulin and for some reason that became the enemy and 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 killed it off and so we're in the hospital for a couple days learning about this uh, disease and that um, there was a lot that went into it. I mean, counting carbs and what she eats and all these mathematical equations that we had to go through. She had to learn how to give herself shots, both mm -hmm. to check her blood sugar and to put insulin into her body to correct the numbers where they're trending. And then she had the added pressure of dealing with middle school and now high school of being different. And that was one of the things she was dealing with and we were dealing with when and when not to freak out as parents, you know, with her numbers and, you know, letting her go to a friend's house and, 
you know, and then, and now the added insurance, because there are medical devices that she, that helps check her blood sugar so that she doesn't have to check it all the time. And, um, yeah, I was going to ask Greg, I'm assuming because of the severity of it. So, uh, just kind of quick recap for my benefit. So the difference between type one and type two is, uh, type one pancreas just stops functioning completely essentially. And Mm -hmm. type two, I guess it's just not functioning as well as it should. So it's supplemented by some kind of a, uh, not necessarily always having to do shots, but some kind of uh, medication to keep that sugar level. Yeah. Yeah. And then diet and what, how it was explained to me is type one, you are type two, you have a broken key to get into a lock and type one, you don't have a key. Mm, So, and then with the severity that your daughter has, I'm assuming she probably keeps insulin nearby on hand in a purse or with her <laughs> is that yeah accurate? so she has the insulin on her and it is yeah. all at all times but she also has an emergency dose that she has to teach her coaches her teachers we've taught we have nine-year-old twins at home taught them that if she goes into a coma how to take that needle out that syringe mix these drugs and then you know, insert the needle and give her that emergency dose. Mm. And so, yeah. And so she has to do that kind of like an EpiPen, but yeah. uh, for the diabetic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I think for me, what would be most difficult about that is not even so much the fact that that dose is there, but just this idea that at any moment you might be the one that has to save her life or right. a coach might have to. And that, living on the precipice must be terrifying. Yeah. And then, um, you know, when she goes to sleep, that's eight hours, you know, and that's one of the reasons we got her a monitor is that it has a warning. If it goes above 200 or below 80, which the nurses say, because she's young and healthy, you know, she can have that type of range and we have the notifications too. But um, kind of getting into a rhythm, but that was a fear as well. And now you look forward and you think, okay, college, she's not going to be with us and we're trying to get her trained. But, and now immediately, you know, with the insurance thing, it said, you know, thinking, well, insulin is crazy high. And, you know, if there are doctor checkups and et cetera, et cetera, um, how do we, maintain normalcy with kind of the systems built up and uh, make sure that she remains, her world doesn't completely change or get a lot more urgent or stressful for her. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a heavy one. <laughs> and I, I'm just playing. I mean, gosh, 14. I remember where I was roughly at the age of 14 and, uh, yeah, life, life is typically pretty carefree, at least the folks that I were surrounded with at that age. And just to know, you know, your kids running around with a needle and syringe and all, all the things that run through your mind with that. And then to your point, Greg, with insurance, you know, thank God we live in a day and an age where you can have existing condition, conditions and be insured. But typically, yeah, you're, you are insured if you have a job. So um, you're now looking at a situation where obviously you've been let go. You've got a little bit of severance, as you mentioned. And so you either go COBRA, which I know is paying through the nose and pay full burden of insurance. But I think typically that only lasts about six months. You, do you know for sure on that or where, where you are positioned? I think that's about right. Um, no, we're still gathering facts. It was mm-hmm. to to bounce back, I guess, a little bit. It's been a month since I was laid off or terminated. Um, and <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going to let that go. That's awesome. Um, but it's still kind of sinking in. And I feel now a little dumb in that I didn't immediately go into gathering all details. And, you know, me and my wife feel the same way. 
and that it's taken us a month to kind of rebound in our mindset to think, okay, now let's gather all the details, you know, let's talk about unemployment after severance. Does it work? Can we do it? You know, insurance, what can we do? Is there some assistance specifically for kids with a condition? Um, Cobra, what exactly would it cost? How much, you know, how long? And so I feel kind of dumb not having the answers because I should know everything. But the shock to me has taken, and I still am, I think a little bit, maybe just the effects of everything. And um, But it, the shock has just now come to the point where I can think a little bit more logically instead of spending my entire life in this emotion, emotional uh, roller coaster. Well, I don't think that's really unusual, Greg. Um, I think, well, number one, just FYI, I do think there is a window in which you can apply for COBRA. So you might want to investigate that sooner rather than later. Uh, I had uh, I had changed jobs and found out my wife was pregnant, or I was in between jobs and found out she was pregnant. And so uh, you do have to kind of react to that and uh, get, get invested in that. And of course, then you will back pay for COBRA as well, just uh help your bank account out too. Um, but <laughs> You're full of good news today. Yeah. Hey, Let's I'm full keep of talking. <laughs> you don't have to get on Cobra and tell your other insurance. <laughs> um, yeah. That's out. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're currently insured by your other one at least. So, yeah. uh, but yeah. what I was going, where I was going beyond <laughs> just give you that warning of Cobra, uh, you mentioned it's been a month and you're just now kind of coming to grasp with it. And, uh, I will say I had, and I we've mentioned it a few times, and I, I don't mean to make it a continual plug, but I had posted on LinkedIn uh, a, a motion chart uh, from mm-hmm. Britt Andreata's book, and uh, just because I had heard very little about mental health, and uh, I recognize having been through unemployment before and knowing how um, the weight that it carried on me, it affected my my um, performance around the house in various ways, we'll say it that way. Uh, Anyways, it's just, you don't even recognize what it does to you while it's happening. And so that's why I shared that because so many folks need to recognize there is a normality to go through this pathway. And I, I recognize you probably know it having been in the position before, but I think it's good for us to have the conversations and to talk about it and to put words to the emotions that we have and that we're feeling. And the good thing, at least from my side that I see, is since that posting, and maybe it's just my own awareness, but since that posting, I've seen more and more people begin to post about the necessity of mental health. I've seen a couple free webinars pop up. And so I think people are have been in this COVID situation long enough and this lockdown or whatever you want to call it long enough that they're finally beginning to recognize, hey, something is not the way it used to be. <laughs> you know, this this extended vacation is not quite as fun as it was at the beginning. And so uh, even if it wasn't fun at the beginning, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, it, it yeah. is interesting how I think my view of mental health has really changed from the perspective that, you know, originally I think I thought of it from this mental disease perspective. And there are some people who have mm-hmm. really bad mm-hmm. diseases and they need they need um, treatment and right. they need. Yeah, what, you're right. Yeah. But what I think I've I've come to realize is just like our regular health, nobody will ever go through life never needing to see a doctor. And maybe there's somebody out there. But for the most part, all of us are at some point going to have to go see a doctor. Many of us will have broken a bone at some point. And and all of us will need antibiotics when we get strep throat or or the number of, of things that have to happen to our physical health. We have an equal amount of, of things that can happen in our mental health. And, and if, if we go through life and never talk to a therapist, that's probably as irresponsible as never seeing a doctor. And, um, hopefully, hopefully that's something that kind of comes away from the shared experience. I think that's happening around the globe. My, my question for you, have you, have you had an opportunity to really 
look at your and, and spend some time focusing on your mental health and not just the health of all the people around you. So, yes, um, I actually was lucky enough to run across that posting of, you know, Leonard's, which I read and that started kind of getting uh, me to reflect and um, then, you know, continue that conversation and being a very emotional person, you know, being part of companies, you go through these personality assessments and, you know, from all sorts of different uh, scales, I guess. You could get do it on a color, you could do it on a pie chart, you could do it on a graph. But mine was always very highly uh, polarized in the emotional sector. And so when this happens, um, the shock and the negative energy starts really quickly. And I went down that um, curve relatively rapidly and still visit those areas, um, although I think to this point a little less severe in the last week or so. But it's hard, and you feel all those those feelings and the negativity, and so your mental health really just at the beginning, I, I you kind of wish that you had the awareness at the very beginning that that's what you needed, because I don't think that. Uh, people would stay in that area so long or they'd have a plan on how to get out of that. Um, so more of it has been um, conversations with people. I've had people reach out to me um, when they found out that I got laid off that we hadn't talked for a while, but they reached out. And the first, I was ashamed um uh, of what happened. So I didn't take a whole lot of their phone calls. They would call or send a message and I wouldn't send it back or wouldn't return the phone call. And you know, when I, when I got laid off, the same thing happened. I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, there were people I, I missed because you know, you work with people eight hours, 10 hours a day, <laughs> for years yeah. and years and it, they become your family and I, and I miss them and I wanted, I wanted to talk to them, but the embarrassment, I was the only one that was laid off. So I also had this feeling, well, everyone's going to think I did something really bad or, you know, and, um, and so that embarrassment really, unfortunately kept me from, um, talking to people. <laughs> so I'm really yeah. glad that you had people reaching out to you have you been able to reach out to them since, or is is it still uh, difficult? Now, there are times that, you know, it's probably not a good time to talk, but I have. I've reached out, uh, reached back out to them um, because I, I love them. I mean, I really care for the people and they care for me, and that's what I came to realize is they reached out because we were more than just workmates or you know just we had more than just this casual relationship it had gone to a deeper level and my sister before she reached out she sent a text and said hey is it okay to call and uh, i called her back and she's just like i didn't know what to do you know i should i call should i bug you did you want some space you know how do i how do i handle this with you and uh, I, I just told her, reach out. If I don't answer, I'll get back a hold of you. But I just appreciate the fact that you took the time to send a message or to call. Um, so. I do think that that's normal uh, because people never know what to say when they're not the ones being afflicted or affected directly. And so they really kind of don't know what to do. And in your case, it's awesome. Your sister asked, but yet having the shoe on the other foot, I know sometimes we, as we're going through it, we don't even know what we want them to do, you know, but I, the, the healthy part of it is number one, they asked, so they demonstrated they cared. And then number two, you had chance to reflect. And in your case, you decided, yes, please reach out. 
But had you wanted space, you could have told her that. So it gives you a chance to decide from your mental health state what is appropriate now. And hopefully, had you said, gee, just leave me alone for a while, hopefully her response then would be, okay, when do you think it will be okay for me to reach out? Because we certainly don't want to leave people isolated in that condition much because uh, we can really cause some self-harm if we overthink ourselves at that point. Correct. So, you know, I think one of the best things that people have said to me, or even when I was going through that, was just when people said um, a, a quick text that said something, thinking about you, uh, hoping you're okay. <laughs> and and just, it, yeah. do, it doesn't have like, this is how you should feel. There's no advice in it, yeah. but just opens up the opportunity for um someone to share or for you to share if that's what you want to do at that point yeah and and i think that's that's important too is um to realize how you want people to respond but also on the flip side you might want to hold off on the advice a little bit and hey cheer up dude or you know there's a better thing out there for you because you just want to feel supported. You know, don't try to cheer me up right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't like this reason. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's, I I think it's well said and, and worth, worth repeating just to emphasize to our listeners that might be, uh, a companion to somebody that's going through this. Maybe they, the, they themselves aren't, but uh, as a person goes through this emotional journey, we really uh, don't want somebody telling us what we should be doing and how we should be reacting. You know, it's it's kind of like the, the little child that falls down on the ground and skins their knee. Well, you know, they need to express that pain in their own way. And naturally, society, there are some norms that we have in place here. Uh, But it's important for an individual to be able to kind of come through that and express it in their own way without, why are you acting this way? Shouldn't you be happy? Or, you know, and I I love the optimistic posts on Facebook and on on LinkedIn that, you know, just, bless God has a plan for your life. And this, and it's like, well, he he may well have a plan, but this is still painful. Can we just... Yeah, this plan sucks. Uh, lament for a moment, <laughs> yes. you know. Yeah, it sucks. So can we yeah. just lament for a moment? And uh, so, Greg, have you had chance to uh, have you you and your circle have chance to kind of lament or just waller in it? Uh, just uh... yeah, and, and see, my wife's really good for me in that way. Um, when other people go through that, well, especially family or her, if she's going through tough times, I'm usually the the idiot that's like, Hey, pick yourself up and, you know, we can get through this together and, you know, trying to talk her through it when I just need to shut up and listen and, um, you know, be there, the backbone. And that's, she, she's really good at that in that she allows me the time to lament and almost at the perfect time says, Hey dude, suck it up. Let's, we got to do stuff about this. (laughs) And at first that's a little shocking, but then, it doesn't come off as she doesn't care or she doesn't understand. It's, hey, she's my spouse, she's my teammate, and that sort of thing. And on Facebook, when I'm seeing these motivational posts, I kind of want to flip everybody the virtual bird at first, you know, saying, (laughs) oh, yeah, sure, yeah, have motivation, pick yourself up and bite me. Um, And only recently have I looked at them and said, oh, that, you know, that touches a, a positive uh, vibe with me or something like that. So yeah, you do go through the anger and you're like, oh yeah, everybody else could, but my situation sucks worse than yours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes even with those motivational things, I have to stop and say, well, what is the mindset of the person who's saying that? Are, are they doing that because they're trying to tell it to themselves or are they trying to tell it to me? Yeah. You know, that maybe, maybe that that positive message really wasn't intended for me. It was intended for them. And, you know, taking that step back sometimes, I guess, might help. (laughs) Um, No, that's completely true. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but yeah, you're right. And and, and Facebook doesn't let us do the virtual bird 
or maybe there's a way <laughs> well, I it does, but it probably <laughs> is that yeah we'll talk to mike zuckerberg and let's see if we can get that added i mean yeah, I let's get that going let's get more hate yeah <laughs> it's, it's, it's a thumbs up it's just a different finger it's just a different one yeah. <laughs> i am curious though because um from the last conversation i had with you i, I got the impression that you're someone uh who has a tremendous amount of faith and i'm curious how that is affected has it does it help? Does it, is it something that has been caused you to question or how, how, how is your faith play into this and, and, and how has it weathered the storm? So, yeah, that's, that's an interesting journey as well, because I think that emotional curve goes with job. It goes with relationships with different people. It goes with a myriad of different things that can happen. I mean, the, the realization of diabetes and you know, all of these different uh, things that you deal with. And faith doesn't escape that curve. It it also hits and that kind of goes with, you know, people were saying, well, God's got a different plan with, for me. And I'm just like, does he? Does he really? Um, and, and so going down that, and I was surprised actually this time, I have a pretty close-knit group of friends and true friends instead of you just go to church together that were there and and were willing to, instead of just, hey, quote scripture to you and just give this, you know, the positive vibe, um, the faith, to really just say, you know what, you're right. Things in the Bible, you know, the scripture have really outlined that things have really gone bad for a lot of people. And. Uh, it's hard. You question. And it's been, that's been actually a positive experience because I wanted to be mad at God, man. I really just wanted to be bitter and go outside and shake my fist at the heavens and, you know, just, you know, say some nasty things in that way. But I found that I, I can't because, you know, there have been situations and experiences that I have gone through that, yeah, on the other side, it's worked. And plus, my religious clan or my friends with that that faith and not even my faith have allowed me the the room to express my uh, frustrations of the higher power type of thing you know it's interesting um of course you know disclaimer i'm an atheist but um i'm an atheist that really likes to talk about god stuff so (laughs) i don't know what that makes me but um i i have a really great friend who is a pastor. And um, one of the things he told me, and I, I, I found it to be just uh, very enlightening, is he says, you know, I believe, he says, I believe that um, God is, is a, a heavenly parent. And you're allowed to sometimes yell at your parent. And if that's how yeah. you feel, feel it. You know, he's a big boy. He can handle it. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, the biggest, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, even within scripture, it says, yeah, even within scripture, it does say be angry and sin not. So, you know, there, there, there's a threshold perhaps, but we definitely uh, are allowed our emotion. And I do think, you know, as we, as we kind of begin to wrap up our conversation, I, I do think part of the mental health and part of that is really being able to express and walk through those emotions and i know we've talked about it before it's not a linear scale you know today i might be at the top of the mountain tomorrow i might be in the valley um but it's it's so good to have and i i count you guys certainly among friends it's good to have friends that we can talk to share together and have these discussions and that in itself oftentimes just kind of lifts that burden lifts that weight and certainly uh, having faith and having folks that surround you that don't leverage that faith against you <laughs> is, is so beneficial as well. So really great. Yeah. And then I guess, as you said, it's time to wrap up. I agree. Although, you know, I could go for hours talk with you guys. It's, it's pretty fun. Um, is for the listeners just out there, of, you know, listening to – a story of change and, you know, hopefully they can look at this and see that they're not some odd duck out there going through, 
you know, emotions that nobody's ever felt. But just my, you know, as I've talked to more people that are going through change or have gone through change or whatever, some stressful times in their life, first thing I tell them is, hey, feel all the feelings. Give yourself permission to feel the feelings. Don't feel guilty for feeling depressed or feeling angry or, you know, feeling guilt or all, all of those feelings. Allow yourself that freedom, but also recognize that don't stay there. You know, find ways to pull yourself out of that systems, people, lifelines, uh, etc. So I think that's what I've found most powerful uh, in realization is not to feel bad about feeling bad. That's very well said. <laughs> very well said. And, you know, I, I think maybe my, my last thoughts would just be that, you know, there may not be a, a light at the end of the tunnel, or if it is, it might be a train. But um, with that, good times are ahead. You know, that as, as for as many bad things that happen, there are good things that will happen in the future. It doesn't mean that everything will be fixed and things will go back to how they were before. In fact, we can promise that that never will happen. But something new, something exciting is always on the horizon. Yeah. And just to add on that, something exciting might be happening right then. You know, as I've been able to reflect, I've loved spending time with my family. Yeah, I feel guilt about not providing. Yeah, I feel scared about insurance and the health of my daughter. But I've gone fishing just about every other night with my with my kids. You know, I, I take them hunting more than I have in the past. I've spent time with my wife and just had discussions at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. And it's just things are exciting that I need the, the time to enjoy while it lasts. And it's not just one big ball of crap that I'm going through. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, well said. Well, guys, it's been great talking. So just again, for our listeners' sake, you know, find somebody you can talk to. Uh, you want to have somebody that can listen, somebody to be there. Not necessarily to give you direction, but just to be there. And if you can't find that person, tell them, hey, you know, uh, as one of the podcasts I listen to, Bob Goff, he always says, hey, I'm going to buy you a cup of coffee, sit there th for three minutes. Don't say anything. Don't judge me. Just hear me out. So you might need to find a friend like that and do that. So with that, we do want to encourage you to know that we're here. If you want to reach out to us for any reason, we are at furloughed mailbox at gmail.com. So again, furloughed mailbox at gmail.com. Drop us a note. If you need a friend, give us a shout. We'll do as best we can for you. And uh, we just want to, again, thank our sponsor, Upward Unlimited, for supporting this podcast. Again, that's upwards, W-O-R-D-S, unlimited.com. They help people with their conversations, connections, collaboration, and community. And Lord knows we need community at a time like this. So thank you for being with us and being a part of our community. And don't forget to, we always welcome your feedback. And if you want to give us a shout on any of the areas that you find our podcast or give us a review, we'd appreciate it. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye.